Hi, welcome to the new voting project. My name is Kunal, your host, back at it again. And today we're here with June Bayek, um, the Columbia University student body president. Um, thank you, June, uh, for taking the time to be here with us today. I understand you are um, back, in, back in your motherland, I guess, here in Korea. <laughs> uh, so I, I understand you're super busy, but thank you so much for joining me on the show. We do appreciate your time. Thank you. Of course. Love to be here. Yes. Yes. As I assume anybody would. Um, so let's dive into <laughs> these questions. Um, for our viewers, I guess, give a little background on yourself. Um, and since, you know, you're kind of here representing Columbia University, um, talk about how um, maybe your collegiate experience or your high school, how did education kind of plan for what you're doing today or aspiring to do as a, as a college graduate? Yeah, so I'll get like give like a little spiel about uh, what I've done so far. So um, I'm the student body president of the Columbia College Student Council. So uh, among Columbia University, they have multiple schools, and I'm the head of the uh, Columbia College Student Council, which is their uh, the biggest undergraduate school. And I think that uh, throughout my college experience, uh, I've majored in computer science and physics, which is technically uh, traditionally not the most political uh, or uh, advocacy heavy major. Yet the reason I was interested in running for student council government is that I am an international student from South Korea. And especially over the past uh, four years, while I was an undergrad, there's been a, such a shift in the political discourse in America regarding foreign students and immigrants in general. And I felt that by getting involved in campus politics and being an advocate for students, I could try to like at least do my job in shaping some part of that narrative. Right, right. And you think college, I, you know, Columbia is a very, um, you know, prominent university. Do you think that prepared you to pursue, you know, computer science and physics? Yeah, definitely. Uh, computer, uh, Columbia University is a really fine institution with a lot of uh, emphasis on research activities and. Throughout my time in Columbia, I managed to get really good uh, experiences and opportunities, not only in research, but also in network and the quality of education. Uh, it helped me to get involved in uh, research that I never thought I'd be involved in, as long as I uh, meet professors and uh, really great thinkers all alike. And not only that, I think that Columbia University uh, prides itself in a very holistic liberal arts education. Uh, and it, it really emphasizes on these like core curriculum of critical thought. And I think that its curricula helped me to become more active uh, politically than if I went to any other like uh, any other school. To be honest, before I entered the university, I wasn't that much politically active. I, politics wasn't a thing that I was interested in. And yet, thankfully, uh, the school really encourages you to take some action whether it be uh, as an advocate or as an activist or as in any way or shape or form, try to get involved with your community. Right, yeah, I'm glad you went to Columbia. Um, and as an aspiring student wanting to go to Columbia, this is <laughs> to my ears, you know what I mean? I'm very politically active in California. Um, but yeah, uh, those were great answers. Um, moving on to our next question, I think you kind of, um, answered it a little bit, but why run for an elected position? You know, you have no background, or I guess before you went into university, no real thought to do so. You know, just 
the general term, why run for an elected position, no matter how, you know, no matter the scale of the position, why run? Yeah, so I think there are like two reasons why I decided to run. Um, first is uh, a bit about, uh, it's actually more relevant to my experience as an international student. So I actually, uh, I'm a South Korean and uh, a lot of uh, South Korean people have to serve in the military service. It's considered a, it's considered a mandatory military service. So I actually enrolled in Columbia at the fall of 2015 and then took a, two years off after my freshman year to serve in the Korean army and came back on fall 2018. So during my freshman and sophomore year, I served about like 21 months at the Korean army situated at the demilitarized zone, which is a border between North and South Korea. And during my time there, like, there was like two big changes, uh, both politically and uh, personally. Uh, first is that like, there was like a change in the administration. And what happened was that I realized not only for me and for my other international friends is that it, it became more harder for them in terms of uh, visa, in terms of administrative work, in terms of feeling accepted in America. And that, that uh, I felt like a remark shift when I came back uh, for my sophomore year, that there was, a, there was a really different kind of political discourse in America. And I wanted to like shape that in one male form. Another uh, part is that personally, as I serve in the army, I came to think a lot more about the community I work in. Uh, having that kind of like service makes you think, okay, what are other ways I could like do my service for the community? And I felt that like running uh, and being part of the student government is the most uh, sure way to make sure that uh, I could advocate for not only for myself, for, for other international students. Right, yeah, that's, that's really unique. I, I almost forgot that you're right, South Korean citizens, I think by mandated law must um, perform I, what you said, two years of service, right? That's, yep. uh, that's, that's really interesting. Was, do you think that that helped shape your current experiences or outlook on, I guess, life, worldly events? I would say, yeah, uh, there's uh, one particular incident that I want to like uh, tell you. Uh, it happened uh, during November of 2017. Uh, I was just like doing my regular work. It was actually my day, uh, day off. Uh, the work I did during the army was to provide uh, security services for the visitors who come to the DMZ area. So whether it be high-ranked politicians or these like government officials and military commanders, whatnot. I'll be my, it will be part of my job to like make sure that they're all safe and then also like have them like uh, have them like around the, the DMC area. Uh, on that day, on that day, uh, there was a North Korean soldier who wanted to like escape to South Korea. So he drove a car across literally across the border and. North Korean soldiers were firing at that guy, trying to like kill him before he could like come to South Korea. And when that incident happened, there was like alarms in the base, a lot, there was like a really tense moments uh, for a day. And I felt at least when that happened that there's gonna be a war and that, okay, my God, it's actually happening. It's, uh, yeah. I never expected it would happen, but the, it looks like, you know, this might be like my final day or something. Right, right, right. And Oh, fortunately, that didn't happen. The war did not happen, and um, a lot of people didn't die. But it's like one of those events in your life where you like, okay, like just like that, your life could be over. The peace and 
the relative status quo that you get so accustomed to might not actually be that stable that in by a sudden mix of bad luck and like negative intent the the thing that you cherish whether it be your family whether it be your like career whether it be your neighborhood or your community could be very much in danger and and i think that was like a a very big wake up call for me realizing that i can't be just taking care of my own self like okay i only care about care about my career i only care about the job i have no i realize that there's a bigger world out there and if we don't try to take care of it everything we cherish might disappear and that really was a a wake up call oh that's that's some intense shit i mean <laughs> i don't know how to characterize it uh wow okay um brink of war brought you to uh to a catharsis that's yeah i could i could understand that um <laughs> i guess leading into my next question um you had mentioned some of the political changes in the united states um mm -hmm. what were your thoughts on the 2020 election right um very tumultuous time you could argue um yeah you know especially on voting rights issues civil rights human rights in some cases um, it, it was a it was a hectic year. It was very strange and peculiar with a pandemic too. Once in a century, um, that happens. Yeah. Um, so what 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 were your thoughts on the twenty twenty election? Kind of run through your stream of consciousness there. Okay, so I have about like two things I kind of wanted to say. Uh, one, uh, both as a like a foreigner looking into the American society, and one thing I realized is that it's so easy i never thought that it would be so easy to for people to try to how to call it try to topple the system i felt that okay like of course this must be an election i'm sure there must be some rigorous safeguarding rules to prevent people from just saying oh the election is rigged okay like i'm not gonna take it no i thought there's gonna be more rigorous way to dispel such accusations yet i realized that it's, I never realized how the system itself could be questioned. Like, at least like, and so I was very much worried about the legitimacy of the election results. Like, even if there are no like signs of voter fraud or whatnot, uh, there are at least a good thirty percent of entire American population think that the the President Joe Biden has been elected illegally. And right. if you think about that, if you have that like 30% of 30, 40% of the people thinking that the government itself is illegitimate, then it's just how could you govern? Like how could a democracy function? So that's like one part that I was like very much shocked that just as simple as like telling who gets to be the winner which is in a sense the legitimacy, the bedrock legitimacy of any kind of democratic system could be so easily questioned, even if there was no hard evidence of it being in any way compromised. So that got me like a bit of worried. Another part is that as a foreigner, I also got to see how there were people in there who are doing their job in the part of the system 
trying to make sure that it works as it should be. So for example, what happened in like that Secretary of State in Georgia, uh, how he kind of like Trump called him like maybe like the day after the election saying that, oh, you got to find some votes. And he kind of like refused that uh, political pressure. Uh, how like, like Mike Pence, for example, like even if like Trump like pressured him to like say that, oh, like just say that I'm the president, you know, like he didn't like bulge in, which like, if you think about it, is a very low bar. It's like basically them doing the job. Right. But the fact that we are talking about the low bar, the bare minimum necessity of making sure the democracy works as it is, it should be, as in we're like salting as a something that is a very great uh, and grateful thing that happened. That was also like very troubling, but also it, it, it's like in a sense comforting that there are still some people in the system who want to make sure that it doesn't like crum uh, crumble apart. So it's both uh, good and bad, I would say. Yeah, interesting. Um, and and I think, do you, out of curiosity, do you have the right to vote in the United States? Nope, I'm not a U.S. citizen. Not a U.S. citizen. And um, how how exactly does voting work in in South Korea? If I may ask. Yeah, like I think that this actually like shows a Korean voting system and American voting system are very very different in terms of the bureaucracy that has come uh, involved in it. So. I would say that the Korean voting system itself is very centralized. While as in America, you have basically like state by state voting system where the voting system could be very different from state by state. In Korea, you have a very centralized, federalized uh, voting system where it really doesn't matter. Like uh, it has like the same consistent uh, policy throughout the entire country. So that gives some sense of the uniformity. Uh, but also like um, might be the benefit of American system is that it, you could like, experiment with various voting uh, policies. For example, in New York, they have the uh, rank, rank choice uh, voting, which is kind of like uh, unheard of or like, kind of impossible to do back in Korea because everything must be, uh, should be the same. I'll say that like, if I were to focus a bit more on the voting rights, I would say that Korea is good in the sense that everybody has a government issued ID that they have to legally get when they turn uh, of legal age. And that could be, and that is used uh, to make sure that you have a voting ID. And what is even better is that there is no separate process of registering to vote. That if you are, if you have that uh, ID, if you become a legal adult, you are automatically registered to vote. And I think that's a, and I think that's a pretty great system in terms of making sure that there are no people who are disenfranchised. Uh, and so I think that's like a one good thing. On the other hand, I do believe that the difference between Korea and America is that it's sheer size in volume and in space in terms of geography. So the Korea itself is a fairly Uh, you could still reach out, uh, physically go to that and you know, like government office, which is about like 30 at max, like an hour away. So it's not like a, that far. The government infrastructure is not that far away. Whereas America, you do have these uh, places that are very, very remote where it's very hard to uh, get those kind of government services. 
So I could see why America has developed a, a tradition of voting by mail, which is not the case in Korea. There are there is no voting by mail in Korea. It's all in person voting. So I could see why uh, like different voting habits and different voting policies uh, came about in these two kind of countries. And I wouldn't say it's like it's I, I wouldn't say it is wise to just say okay one system is better over the other, mainly because like for example like one system might not work in America and vice versa. Right. And how important would you say or characterize is voting? Um, why, why is the right to vote such a critical issue? Like you must be aware, um, you know, in South Korea, the right to vote is so, I guess, universally applied to each citizen, right? It's so seamless. Why is it, yeah. why do you think it's so difficult in the United States, the right to vote is kind of starting to become um, restricted in some ways? Yeah, I think that at least in the uh, to say in the case of Korea, uh, Korea has doesn't have that much of a long history of democracy compared to the United States. Yeah. United States has about let's say about like two hundred and fifty ish like history of democracy where it continuously evolved over time, and it, it like continuously had like a wider as the time went on, it had like a wider range of people who could participate in the process. Korea was just like basically thrown into this uh, democratic system in about past 40 years. Uh, that's when we started to actually have real direct elections for presidents. And it had a long string of dictators for the past 40-ish years before it actually achieved its full-on democracy. So, I mean, like people uh, making the bulk of Korean uh, political class are those people who actually fought for democracy. So uh, like the current president of uh, South Korea himself was a human rights lawyer who fought for democracy. Uh, my father, for one, when he was in college, you you told me stories of how he like uh, participated in protests and demonstrations uh, against the dictatorship for voting and for democracy. So in a sense, like at least uh, the current makeup of the Korean political class are people who value uh, voting rights, and I think that that has that respect for voting rights has managed to implement itself uh, through these like organizations and through these uh, policies, which are set in stone. So, and nobody like questions, mostly like questions the uh, uh, results of the democracy, uh, results of elections. So it's there's like a broad societal consensus that voting rights are important and that there needs to be adequate government support, uh, bureaucratic support to make sure that voting is as seamless as possible. America, on the other hand, I think that it's, I think that the, the one part of the reason why it's so complicated is that it's really like state by state. The, each side state has its own separate voting system. We have a history. And of, I think, yeah. yeah. We have a history of something called states' rights um, mm -hmm. in this country. I don't, I'm sure you've studied American history. It's, <laughs> it's, quite a, it's quite a ride. Yeah, I think that like, that's like one part reason why, like for example, like New York might have a different voting system compared to Texas and how, if you have a politically 
opportunistic like how to call it if you basically i feel like like if a, a certain party controls all the governor and the two state legislators uh, legislators then they could actually enact rules that would try to limit voting right. by state and i think that's a like in georgia I, I don't know how familiar you are but in georgia that's exactly mm -hmm. yeah and i think that's really frightening that that like piece by piece they could like chop off the, the voting rights specific state and i think that's a it's a very dangerous thing that's happening right now right and i i would just say do you have any i guess you know pending in the future if you become a citizen of the u.s or if you stay in south korea do you have any aspirations to run for office um in, in an elected field i'll say yeah uh, i always felt that like ever since i came from the army i was like I started to get interested in the political process. I'm still trying to figure out like what kind of like what what kind of vision I have for the country and for my community. And I'm just trying to figure out, okay, then what what are the visions I have and what could I do? What is the set of skills and set of experience that I could use to utilize to make those kind of changes? So I'll say I'm trying to figure things out. Good, yeah. It's not an easy question to answer. Um, but you're more than welcome to come back on the show if you do <laughs> run for anything. Um, we, we'd be happy to have you back um, talking about love to. policy. Yeah. Um, in closing, I guess, um, kind of talking about generations to come, what is your advice to my generation? You know, the 17, 16 year old, they, we call ourselves Gen Z, I guess. Um, <laughs> how can we make an impact not only voting elections you know getting good education staying engaged what would you say to us you know just coming out of that system i think that one thing that hasn't entered the political discourse yet which i think should is uh lowering the voting age so currently the voting age is 18 in america which means that at least for a lot of people in high school, they are excluded from the political system right. uh, in any kind of like uh, method. I think that like they should like maybe like lower it to like 16, for example. Uh, when I mean like I think that like high school students are very much capable of being active in the political field. And like if you are on TikTok, you know, you can actually see these like Gen Z uh, commentators I, I, I and stay like, away from personalities. TikTok. Yeah. Like people like you. Yeah. Yeah. Or even more active in political system and the political process than any of the uh, the millennials or boomers. So, I think that like the conversation about lowering the voting age, I think that's a conversation I haven't seen anywhere. But I think it, it's it's worth having that conversation discourse going. Right. Yeah. No, I I couldn't agree um, anymore. Um, yeah. No, lowering the voting age. Uh, I personally do not stay, I, I don't have, I, I, you know, purposefully don't have TikTok on, <laughs> because I, I feel, if, if you ask me, that's the real pandemic, all right, for all you viewers out there, TikTok is a pandemic, trust me, you get, you get sucked in to that field of vision, but yes, um, yeah, thank you so much for your advice. Um, is there anything you'd like to add before, before we close out? I'm just like curious. Like, uh, how about you? Like, I just want to like get to know you a bit more I'm, as well. I'm you know? like, to what got you interested in the project? Uh, I'm supposed to interview you, by the way. That's 
Um, repeat the question for me, will you? <laughs> what got you interested in this project? In this project? Well, you know, mm -hmm. I, um, it's a good question. Um, I, uh, I, I do a lot of uh, heavy political campaigning and, and consulting in the Bay Area. Um, so, you know, everything from regional, local, municipal, um, state or federal elections, I've put my hand into. So, you know, I, I like to say I've seen a little bit about political discourse in the process that, that like you said, is bureaucratic, it's sclerotic, and it's definitely not um, the most um, appeasing process. Um, it's very difficult to navigate through. Uh, so what got me interested in this project is I noticed a trend of, you know, our simple right to vote, right? I, I, had, I have the, you know, the ability and, and the fortune of knowing many civil rights activists here in my community. Um, and what I hear from them is we've been struggling to find the right to vote since the 60s. And if you argue with me, the constitution clearly outlines that every man in quotes, should have inalienable rights. Um, that was written by Thomas Jefferson himself. So it's, it's difficult for me to comprehend that voting rights, the simple act of you know, casting a ballot. You know, we vote in our family, corporate votes in their own business structures. We vote to preserve our democracy, but yet that simple act is being tarnished, right? Um, and that's unacceptable. So this project is meant to shed a light on any different perspective. We're talking professors, you know, academics, um, students like yourself who, who you know, become engaged and are willing to take that challenge. Um, candidates for state assembly or state senate. Um, I'm hoping to have attorneys of law and actors and activists and really anybody, I don't, I don't discriminate, um, to, to have on this show and shed a light on the injustices that are happening in this country. Right, top to bottom, it all relates. But the one thing you can't take away is our right to an opinion, and you know, I guess, in some sequitur, the right to vote. Yeah, vote for me for president, guys. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> I'll be looking forward to your uh, political career. But also, I think what you say definitely makes sense. You know, yeah. voting is the lifeline of democracy, and people can vote, and the system itself is in peril. Yeah, it's it's a we we are at a precipice. I've been saying for the past year since 2020, you know these these are the transform transformative years we have, but especially as Gen Z recognizes and you know understands the problems, I I, I want to be part of the response, you know, that's that's my wish, uh, but yes, we're looking, you know, I'm looking forward to following your career as well, maybe you know being an astronaut or something, or. Um, you know, if you become the head of Google, just call me <laughs> with the CS. You know, I, I'm not too far away from Google. I'll let you know, you know, see how it goes. Yeah, but thank you so much, June, um, for, for giving us your insight, your advice, um, especially as a student. I think you're the first, you're the inaugural student I've had on, on the panel so far. Yeah, so it's something to be proud of, I guess. Um, and I think, I think people will find your story, I think, very, very, um, welcoming and, and what the, I guess what the American dream is supposed to be um, except you got to come back to, to America <laughs> got do it. that after the pandemic you know stay safe got it and thank you so much for joining me on the show thank you very much you know it was lovely to talk to you of course anytime anytime
Peace out, dude.